Welcome back to another episode of Around the 412. I am Tyler. With me, as always, is my co-host, Smitty. Be sure to go follow us on all of our social medias at Around the 412. And go subscribe to us on YouTube as well. Drop a comment, drop drop a subscribe, leave a five-star review, all of that good stuff on all the listening platforms as well. Go check out some of the links that we have in the descriptions of each of these shows. They'll be in the listening platforms as well and in the description on YouTube. Good stuff. Um, so, yeah, do all that. We're going to start out today's episode talking about the Steelers, uh, give you guys a little bit of a rundown. We're going to go Steelers, Penguins, Pirates today, just so you guys know. If they, That way, you know, once we talk about the Steelers, you guys can leave the show and get out of here. Uh, <laughs> no, but also just breaking the fourth wall very early at the time of recording this, even earlier for Tyler than it is for me. It's also a Saturday. This is very odd for us to be doing, though we did have a special episode last Saturday with Steelers running back mm-hmm. Alfonso Graham. If you haven't checked that out yet, go check that out. It was an awesome conversation with him. He's got fans in us for sure. Um, so let's talk, continue talking about some Steelers just as we did last week. Very different conversation. Uh, some sad news to talk about at first with losing one of our own. You talked about when once you're a Steeler, you're a Steeler for life. That was certainly the case with Clark Haggins, who passed away very suddenly like this kind of came out of nowhere just 46 years old uh member that super bowl 40 championship team he ended up going to the cardinals which is who the steelers played in super Bowl 43 um after that season kind of broke out that year that the steelers did win the super bowl had nine sacks in the regular season uh six tackles in the sack in that super bowl game um but, you know, I was kind of reading about him, some stuff that I didn't know. And I think that he was even more impactful off the field. In 2012, he became the first NFL player to support the Blackout Child Abuse Campaign, uh, which is a nonprofit in Westerville, Ohio, that was founded in 2012 and serves families and organizations across the country, bringing education, assistance and support to those in need. He wore blackout paint as opposed to the stick on in support of the cause that people would normally do. So, um, you know, to be the first anything. Right. I mean, you know to have that type of impact obviously great and this seems like it was a great cause i don't know too much about it i haven't read up other than just seeing that he was the first nfl player to support them which is Mm -hmm. obviously fantastic i hope that that you know because of that it brought a lot more notoriety to them and they've gone on to do great things um but yeah you know this kind of came out of nowhere i was actually coming home from the pirate game when i saw this news and was just like wow you know that's a name that you don't i don't know that you think about right away when you think about the steelers but then like you hear it and you like think about the defenses that he was a part of and connect the dots and like he was you know a contributor on those teams for sure so definitely an impactful football player uh, and a big loss and you saw the outpouring of support with you know his his former teammates all tweeting like pictures of him or just tweeting his number 53 and stuff like that so um yeah huge loss here and uh yeah very sad news the last week for the pittsburgh steelers yeah and it, it comes a week after we were talking about how close knit that group that we were talking yeah. about with those two super bowls mm-hmm. seemed to be and obviously he was only technically part of the one but he was involved with the other super bowl as well he's being on the arizona cardinals whenever the steelers beat them in super bowl 43 mm-hmm. um but yeah, it's it seemed like uh, it, like you're saying, it's not a guy that you immediately think of when you think of those like mid 2000s uh, Super Bowl teams. But he did have his mark. He did make an impact. Um, so rest in power, and you know you'll be missed. Yeah, I, like I said, I mean, I, I think the biggest way to anytime that anybody passes away you just see like what people are saying, you know, like the outpouring of support that he got from his teammates and stuff like that. Yeah. That, that really defines what he did, you know, like forget the stuff on the football field. 
that's a great point I didn't even think of was we literally had just had a conversation thanks to you know that conversation with B Mac and Troy on their show talking mm-hmm. about how close those teams were and you know to lose a, a teammate and brother now like that's what they call themselves they call themselves brothers they really do become that you spend more time with your teammates than you do your families during the season so um yeah rest in peace Clark Higgins and uh thoughts and prayers are with his family and obviously all of his teammates all of his loved ones um but uh to move on to the football side of Steelers talk now one of those names that we mentioned that was being brought in for uh, linebacker tryouts they actually did sign Nick Witkowski was signed by the Pittsburgh Steelers I thought out of the two that they brought in he was the one that made the most sense um, a little bit more of a track record in the NFL I think he can kind of be that that Robert Spillane fill-in if you will like you know well at least in this case remains what they wanted from Spillane which was to be the third mm-hmm. linebacker and contribute on special teams somehow some way every season Robert Spillane found his way into the starting role more <laughs> a indication of what was in front of him I think than Spillane himself I'm not trying to like take away from Robert Spillane he just is what he is as a football player and you know unfortunately that ended up being the best linebacker most consistent linebacker on the Steelers the last few seasons when in no way shape or form that should have been the case anyways in this case here I think ideally he's a special teams guy you know comes onto the field maybe in like obvious run situations to help come downhill kind of feeling that Robert Spillane role and uh, I'm totally fine with that, but it's not like something that is like, okay, we got this guy that's, you know, that need is filled. Like if they were to still add a coverage inside linebacker, I think that that would greatly benefit this defense. Now, are they going to add yet another inside linebacker? I don't know. I'm just saying this guy to me doesn't check a ton of boxes when I looked at what the team needed. It doesn't really move the needle, like yeah. in, in, in terms of excitement about assigning. A it's a, depth piece for the team it's a solid depth piece like you're saying he gets he could play special teams which is a a big role if you're going to be a backup on the in the nfl um but it's not a guy that you want playing every down or a, even like several snaps a game you, you just mm-hmm. want him ideally to really secure that special teams role which is fine but it's it's not something that's really going to move the needle on the radar of oh the steelers didn't made a big move at linebacker there's there's still names out there that could be could be signed and probably should be signed by the Steelers just because of the uncertainty that we have at the linebacker position. We mentioned maybe not last week, but a couple shows ago, just going through some of the names that we have in linebacker and like Mark Robinson is the most tenured linebacker on the Steelers right now uh, on the inside. So um, just because they they did have brought in some players that have some veteran experience in the NFL, we don't know what they're going to be like in the Steelers defense. So I I think that is as long as they keep bringing in names, I, I would be fine if they did. Just because I think that you're you're basically just like waiting, throwing stuff at the wall and waiting for it to stick at that point at the linebacker position and ho- hoping something does stick in a, in a good way. Yeah, when we like when last season ended, I had a feeling that there was going to be some type of turnaround in the inside linebacker room, right? Like Devin Bush, pretty clear that he wasn't going to be back. I don't know that I like I was totally fine with him moving on from Miles Jack, especially at the number that he would have been back at in 2023. I don't know that I necessarily expected it. And I thought it was a foregone conclusion Robert Spillane would be back. Like for them to have an entire turnover of that room of anybody that played significant snaps last year. I think, you know, with what they got from that room, it's warranted. It's just wild to go into a season with that much unknown at the position from one year to the next. So, um, 
yeah, I, I'm with you. You know, I, I think they could have greatly benefited. For, I don't know if the door is still open. It typically isn't when it comes to the Steelers. But, you know, Quan Alexander was here and left. Um, I, I think they would greatly benefit from a guy like that because he can also, you know, shift into the slot and, and cover a tight end out there and that kind of, you know, two birds with one stone. So I, I think I, the, I think the door is kind of shut on that. It, it just in my, I, my if opinion, I was taking if, that, guess, yeah. if that was going to happen, I feel like it would have happened the week he was in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And that's it's been you know, too long of, after the fact. Yeah. I, I agree, even if you're not even looking at like Steelers historical tendencies of a guy leaving and, and not signing him. Like I, I just think because that's typically even if you know that they're not signing him, even if it like the, the doors open from the player side the next day. Like if that guy leaves Pittsburgh, it's not happening. With Omar Khan, maybe that aspect is a little bit different. But I think with how much time has gone for any team, I would be thinking, yeah, that's not really a possibility at this point. But mm-hmm. you know, who knows? It, it's yet to be seen. Like we kind of got going into next year's draft, we're going to have kind of an idea of how Khan and them operate. As far as free agency, we could still be kind of learning. You know, we've obviously gotten through the first several waves of free agency, but how's he approached these like? you know, the late free agency, like right before training camp or when the rosters have to trim down, like we're going to get our first taste of how that works from his side too. So uh, I'm excited to see how it all plays out, but I would agree. I think in in terms of that specific player in Quan Alexander, I do think the door is closed. Now, is there somebody else out there that they're going to add to the roster? I, I still think there is a move to be made and, you know, ESPN put out a thing like the last move the Steelers need to make this off season is extending Alex Highsmith. And I do, again, like going back several weeks at this point, I do think that gets done before training camp. Um, I think that is a move that needs to happen. I think people are going to be surprised by the dollar amount being less. That I, I think he's going to get under market value. I think he's willing to take that to stay in Pittsburgh. Um, but I, I look at that, and I'm not even including that as being a move. I still think they're going to add somewhere to this roster, whether that is at that slot corner, whether that is another inside linebacker, I, I think that there is another addition to be made to this team still. Yeah, no, I, it's, I, I or think if so one of those too. guys don't win, I, I don't want to, you know, we just had Alfonso on and I hope that him and Anthony McFarland both show out. But, you know, if they're not seen enough in training camp, I wouldn't roll out them adding another running back too to take that third running back job. Yeah, that's a good point too. Uh, I mean, the, the the positions that you're bringing up are positions that we brought up on the show that don't have a substantial depth behind them. We we're okay with the starters, and that, that that's fine and, and well. But we've seen in Steelers seasons the starters aren't always going to be healthy on the field all the time. So you have to secure that depth and the the positions you're talking about. I think the Steelers need to make moves just to at least give themselves more insurance policies. Even even if like the starters don't work out, say for example, like the middle linebackers, or if the health doesn't keep up on the outside linebackers, like there's there's multiple positions that you need depth and that's important. And I wasn't even thinking about running back. I was only thinking defensively mm-hmm. and running back's a good point too. Like if, if Jalen Warren or Najee Harris goes down, then suddenly right, running back three becomes way more important than, than we're thinking of it is right now outside of the special teams role. So I think especially uh, offensively running back is the position where if you're going to look to add somebody that's uh, on the market still right now, that would be the case. Um, but yeah, I, I think that they the Steelers definitely need to add before we get to training camp. There's positions that I think that you, you could it, it's it would be good to have more of a battle there as well. Um, just just to bring in more guys, kind of like what I was saying, like just throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks, and then try to build your roster around it. Yeah, it's funny because as you were saying the running back thing, like it's not going to be like 
you know, Dalvin Cook, right, was mentioned. I think it was Joy Taylor said that she that he would be a great fit in Pittsburgh. I, I mean, obviously, the player has been, you know, so good for so long. And it's like, I'm not saying no to Dalvin Cook, but like, can we be realistic here for a second? Like him, Najee Harris. I, I, I don't know that people like the national talking heads know who Jalen Warren is or the type of season he had last year, because I don't know that that would be their, you know, their thought in terms of a landing spot for Dalvin Cook if they knew who Jalen Warren was. The one name that I will say, like, I wouldn't totally, like, throw away, Leonard Fournette, who obviously is has the name recognition. I just don't think that he's in a capacity to push for a starting job at this point in his career. And if you're talking about him coming for, you know, close to a vet men, like, you know, him, Najee, and Jalen Warren, that makes much more sense as a three-headed, you know, running back rotation than adding Dalvin Cook. Like, Dalvin Cook is going to command way more money and he's not going to take that less of a role as you're talking. Like in Leonard Fournette's case, he was part of a committee last year. Even I just, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see that happening either, but that was the other name that was kind of thrown out there. I think it was Ryan leaf uh, that said he would like to see Leonard Fournette in Pittsburgh. And even again, when I saw his reply to somebody, I'm not trying to discredit his opinion, but when I saw his reply to somebody, no mention of Jalen Warren, he was talking about giving Najee readers. So it's like, like people just don't know he exists maybe they know he exists but maybe they're just thinking like if they if they bring in a guy like that like if you're gonna have a running back play special teams then one of them has to and it would probably default to Jalen warren at that point because i can't imagine leonard fournette playing special teams yeah yeah that's a good point i, I can't imagine any of the three of them to be honest i, I don't know what Jalen contributes on special teams like i i don't know that's why yeah. I don't think that, like, as far as bringing in a running back from the outside, I don't think it would be a guy like a Dalvin Cook or a Leonard Fournette because the, mm-hmm. the RB3 role is, and we, yeah. we mentioned it last week when we were talking to Alfonso, like, that's somebody that you expect to be contribute on special teams because the other two are going to be contributing offensively. So bringing in a big name like that that has had a lot of starting experience, I just don't see the fit in terms of, like, what they bring to the team uh, if if you're going to bring them in as RB three, they need to play special teams at that point. Yeah, that that's actually very true. I, I honestly like wasn't thinking about that to be quite honest, but I I will say that is true from the special teams perspective. You don't know how that fits in, but if Najee, unfortunately, knock on wood, were to go down or something, Leonard Fournette, similar style running back, like that would almost be able to just seamlessly fit I'm not saying they're the same talent at this point in his career or the same effectiveness but from a style standpoint you feel like he could fit into the scheme because we've seen Najee do it and he's a similar back yeah no I agree um they did make a roster move the Steelers did releasing Anthony Miller he actually tweeted out the day before it became official was like um, thank you Pittsburgh or something like that yeah thank you Pittsburgh with a heart but because it was on Juneteenth like roster transactions couldn't take place that day so the next day it was put out that they had released him um kind of unfortunate we never got to see you know what Anthony Miller could have been in Pittsburgh I know that we were kind of like going back to last year kind of excited about it just because you know him and Mitch spent time together in Chicago um we thought it was at least a viable slot option for them um then he gets hurt last year misses the entire season comes back this year you feel like is you know going to compete for a spot 
then they get Allen Robinson in here, and it's like, uh, that's probably the vet that they're going to go with to, you know, kind of be the the vet pairing with Calvin Austin. So it kind of left Anthony Miller out in out in the woods, and you were wondering if there was a role for him on this team. This answers that question. Um, it's unfortunate, but but not at all surprising. I mean, had he made, I think he had like a one million dollar salary, but it wasn't guaranteed. So mm-hmm. you know, you weren't going to pay the guy a million dollars to go into camp, I guess, and get to that point and pay that. So, um, unfortunately, I have to agree with the move. But all the best to Anthony Miller. I hope he's able to latch on somewhere else. I hope them releasing him at this point, you know, before we get to training camp, gives him the opportunity to go somewhere else. Because yeah. I'm still, like, super intrigued by the skill set. It just, you know, it was too crowded of a room here. Even though it's not like, you know, I don't think of the Steelers wide receiver room right now as we go into the season. Now they could prove it once the season starts. I don't think of one of them is like, the best receiving units right now in football. But when you look at like, okay, past Deontay Johnson, George Pickens, Calvin Austin, Allen Robinson, those four, four for, were for sure making the roster. So Anthony Miller was probably competing for one spot with the likes of, you know, Miles Boykin, Hakeem Butler, Gunnar Osheski, like for one spot. So it was going to be very hard for him to make this roster. Yeah. And I, I, I feel like if you're going to look for like a slot receiver, you already have, I mean, we talked about that. You kind of already had that with Pat Fryer move with a lot of the yeah. offensive snaps. Um, mm-hmm. And then you you look at a guy like Calvin Austin is going to be healthy this year, and he could see a lot of sl- slot uh, snaps himself potentially in the offense. So it, it makes sense from a Steelers perspective why, but it does stink because whenever they signed him, we, we were both intrigued about the signing and, and, and wondering what it could look like at Pittsburgh. Unfortunately, we never got to see that to fruition. But as you just mentioned, there are several guys that are still rostered on the Steelers that could be making um, this this 53-man roster as a wide receiver. So there's there's four there's four uh, guys that are starters or not starters, but there's four guys that are going to make the roster seemingly right mm-hmm. now. And then they're like you said, they're fighting for one spot. So it, only one of them is going to make it. I mean, Gunner was here last year, so he kind of has like a foot in the race still. And then Hakeem Butler, Miles Boykin, th- those guys have size and 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 little like differences from the other wide receivers currently on the Steelers. Miles so, might know, be like their best special team, like one of their top three special yeah. teams player on the team, not just amongst wide receivers, just in general. Yeah, so he, so that could give him just like the lead in the race for it. But yeah, it, it, it doesn't seem like there was just enough room to to keep him around. Yeah. So it's unfortunate for him. Hopefully, he finds a place to stick, but. Yeah, that's just kind of the way it goes. Um, wrapping up with the Steelers stuff, you were probably like, what does this even mean when you read the notes? If you looked at the notes, I had looking at Steelers tendencies. So yeah, I, I was, was wondering what that <laughs> I was watching. So around draft time, I already knew who Brett Coleman was, one of my favorite like football YouTubers, great follow on Twitter. Um, but he has a show, Bootleg Football, with uh EJ, who's a Bears guy. And um, they're doing a really cool series right now, talk, going through every team in the NFL. But they were doing a Steelers one. It was like the title of it was like the Steelers are so back. So I was like, okay, obviously I got to watch this video. And they're kind of breaking down everything about the team. But they go as far as putting up graphics um, in terms of like the types of zone, the co- coverages that they're running defensively, the types of like runs that they have, like what what they're running out of. 
mm-hmm. um, percentage of blitzing on third down, and then like passing offense overview in terms of like how much the team is running play action and stuff. And I just I thought all the information that they were putting out there was very interesting, and I appreciated the fact that they you know gathered all of that for people to, to take a look at and actually visually look at. So if you look at the Steelers defense, they ran the least amount of quarters coverage last year, just 2.2%, which was 32nd in the NFL. What they run a lot of, and this is super basic defenses, was cover one, cover two, cover three, and cover five. They were top 10 in all of those, which to me just says they feel so good about the way that they coach their defensive backs in defense in general, but really this is a lot relying on the defensive backs um, mm-hmm. and the players that they have specifically to fill those roles that they don't even care if it's very apparent what type of defense they're in because they don't even like disguise a whole lot within these defenses. They're not meant to do that. So it just, it kind of says we feel so good about our coach and we feel so good about our players. You can watch what we do in a game on tape because we're doing the exact same thing in practice. Anyway, we're putting it all out there. We just feel that good about where we are defensively. It doesn't even matter if you know what we're doing, which is very interesting. And, it, you know, kind of thinking back now, you almost wonder, does it make them too susceptible? Like, are they a little bit too um, easy to figure out defensively? But the Steelers, you know, for most of our lives have, even at their worst, like when they can't stop the run, they still average out to be at worst a middle of the pack defense because of how mm-hmm. good their pass rush is. So I don't know. I just, I thought it was interesting to take a look at. They're not running a whole lot of, you know, unique defensive coverages. And I wouldn't expect that the Steelers would do so, but they've been effective in doing this. So I don't know how to take it. Uh, well, maybe that has to do with, I mean, you mentioned that the, the Steelers have always either had a great defense or at worst, like a middle of the road defense. And when you look at the, the defenses over at least the, our lifetime, it, it's all been gr- filled with great players. So maybe it's just a case of like, even if we run like a super vanilla defense over and over and over again, we have the players to make that defense work. Cause, mm-hmm. cause even, even in those coverages where, you are really relying on your coaches and the players that you have in that secondary. Think about the front seven for the Steelers and getting to like the quarterback, for example. Like if if everybody's healthy, the the secondary gets a breather a lot of the time because of what that front seven can do in the pass rush. So maybe it's just yeah. a case of they they have the personnel where a, a vanilla defense and you just do it over and over again, and everybody kind of knows what you're lining up in but they just can't stop it anyway because of the likes of Cam Hayward, TJ Watt, Alex Highsmith. And then on the back end, you do have a guy like Minka Fitzpatrick in that, that free safety role. I like think they, they, they have the personnel to make the defenses work. I, we already know how great Minka is, but like listening to them talk about him, they like they both think he's the best safety in the NFL. And like you think about the rest of the talent that's within that secondary. I'm not trying to knock anybody else. But without him, like, I I don't know where they're at from a secondary standpoint. But I almost wonder with this is a question for you and to everybody. You were talking about the pass rush there and it kind of like taking the pressure off of the secondary. But when we talk about with how vanilla these defenses are and being so reliant on guys communicating on the back end, like, are we not giving the secondary enough credit over the years for this? Like, are we giving maybe too much credit to the pass rush and not enough credit to the defensive backs? Depends on the year. If we're talking like 2018, I'm absolutely not giving any credit <laughs> to the defensive backs. <laughs> All right. Because, yeah, 
there's, I guess, and I don't, I don't know what percentage year. of but defenses. No, I, th- right I think most recently with the with the uh, secondary that we had, um, whether that was with, with Minka, um, Terrell Edmonds, Joe Hayden, I I, I think we oh, did that twenty give like twenty nineteen secondary was awesome. Yeah, yeah, and I I do think that the the secondary does kind of get fallen behind a little bit with, from the pass rush, just because of how electric the pass rush can be. You have the best edge rusher in the NFL of TJ Watt. And, and some people will not give the secondary credit for for what the pass rush also does, and that's just get to the quarterback and suck up time from that offense. I, I but I do think that they they do need to get their roses as well. I think the secondary over the past several years has been good, especially because um, you've you've lost some of the guys from that 2019 defense. Like we didn't have Joe Hayden last year, and I thought like Levi Wallace played pretty well. Um, they, they experimented at the other corner spots, and then then now this year we're really going to see what can be different because there's going to be what seems like a lot of new faces. You're not going to have the same strong safety. You're, it looks like you could potentially have two new starting cornerbacks. Whether what what they do with, I mean, Levi Wallace could end up being started, but you have Joey Porter Jr., Patrick Peterson. We'll see how that that works out. But mm-hmm. there's going to be a, a lot of new within that secondary, at least in terms of the starters. So. It'll be interesting to see how much that carries over and how much they they communicate well. Um, plus, I'm going into the year. If you, as long as you have a healthy pass rush, and I'll just go back to it, that helps out your secondary a lot. The, the Steelers front seven has always been good at getting to the quarterback, and so that that just kind of helps the whole thing mesh. and And while they, they are playing these coverages, I, I think that when you have like TJ and Alex getting to the quarterback, that just helps the the secondary and kind of like. It, it masks how basic the, the Steelers' defense is when you have guys like that on the field. Even though you're playing in in really basic co- coverages, I just don't think it feels like it all the time because you have those pass rushers. And to that point, going kind of going and siding with that, they don't feel the need to blitz very often, um, especially like in in long. They're about average uh, in short and medium situations on third down but they're 21st in the NFL in blitzing on third and seven plus. So when you have, you know, the front four that you do, they really didn't feel the need to bring the extra guy. But what's interesting is last year, they didn't have TJ for most of the season or not most of the season, but as much time as they did. Um, And you didn't have an effective TJ for most of the season. I'll say that. Um, I would have thought last year would have been the year to kind of break away from that, but that just goes to show like they're not going to break tendency because of one player. Like, I think last year they probably could have benefited from being a little bit more diverse with their blitz packages because of not having TJ. But still, like I said, 21st in the NFL at just 29% on 37+. plus. I I have your explanation of why they didn't blitz last year. It's because they actually did send Devin Bush on blitzes, except he would just run two yards down, get swallowed up by a guard, and... So it didn't register. They they didn't even count as a blitz. (laughs) So that's what was really happening. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like the guy that would have probably accounted for that was like Arthur Millette coming off the coming off the slot, like in the delayed yeah. blitz or something like because that. Because there was too many times where I would watch Devin Bush start to run downfield and then stop and then just get swallowed up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to switch to the offense real quick just to go through these. Um, you talked about the Steelers' run concept frequency. Uh, inside zone is kind of in their bread and butter. They're tied fourth in the NFL at 33%. Um, they do not run power. They do not run counter. They were 30th and 31st in those two uh, draw plays. They are pretty high as well at 4% um, 
eighth in the NFL. Interestingly, this doesn't show the NFL rank, but they said on there when talking about it, they are by far first in the league in jet sweeps, like double the amount of anybody else. Now, I know that people aren't going to want to hear that. Here's the thing. Oh, Canada. (laughs) The Steelers, (laughs) the Steelers averaged six yards per play last year on jet sweeps. Like, so relatively effective i mean you run that you run that literally every single play you're gaining a first down every single drop like you're getting mm-hmm. on the third down you're gonna have a first down um obviously that's not ever going to happen but they were effective i think the thing is finding the right player to do it um they might have that this year in calvin austin or they might have that this year if Anthony McFarland stays healthy and is the guy's the third running back. Like I think that there are ways that the jet sweep can work and we don't have to I don't have to go on Twitter and see fans complaining about it for unjustified reasoning just because they don't like Matt Canada and don't want to see a jet sweep and just well, identify him fans with are only going to complain about the ones where it's like a one yard gain or a no gain at all, and they're not going to talk about the ones that it's like a twenty yard gain. Yeah, exactly. Does it surprise you, though, that they are so low in the NFL in power? Yeah, a little bit. Um, I, I feel like that that would be the run scheme that they could do. But And, you know, be, I got to say, Jeff Belts at Beaver Area High School, he would be pissed because we ran a ton of power in high school. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, the fact that they're, they're that low in power, and you said counter, too. That's a little bit yes. surprising to me. I, I think I think the biggest thing is, and maybe that changes this year. I don't think it will, though, just because of how comfortable Kenny is. I think it's because Kenny likes to operate from gun a lot. Like, so I just I don't think that like that typically you'll see under center. Uh, yeah. I think because of of Kenny's play style and what he's comfortable with, that's why you're going to see them h- higher in inside zone and draw than anything mm-hmm. else. How, what did you say that they they lead the league and draw? Uh, not lead the league, but they um, are uh, top. They're eighth in the NFL. They're fourth oh, they're in inside eighth. zone. They're eighth. Okay, fourth yeah. in inside zone. That makes sense. They do run a lot of zone. Yeah, but inside outside zone, <clears throat> just twenty one percent, which is seventeenth in the NFL. So inside zone and draw heavy last year. We'll see if that continues this year. And then this is where I'm going to get upset. Talking about the passing offense, play action, 26th in the NFL. Um, Yards per attempt, 25th in the NFL. Uh, I actually was a little bit surprised by the average depth of target being 12th. That's higher than I would have thought it was going to be. I'm okay with that number. Um, And that's really the only things I'm taking away from this graphic. Um, the, if this play was, action is what needs if to this was 2021, I mean, the average depth of target they had to be bottom five. Yeah, I would uh, assume so. I, 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 now that you said that, I was thinking like, there's no way that they were 12th. But then I, I was like, wait, no, Kenny was throwing the ball down the field a little bit more than than Ben was. But I don't know if that was just because of the routes the wide receivers were running, mm-hmm. as as opposed to what they were running with Ben. But yeah, yeah, that that last year in 2021 of Ben, the especially with like a guy like Juju throwing the ball the, he was a running back field, it, was, it was like three yards and yeah he would somehow get like six or seven yard gains like but but that's because he fought for those extra like three to four yards every single time because he catches the ball two yards downfield that was yeah. so annoying they basically turned him into a running back uh those last few years have been so um but all right that would be those numbers approve 
yeah for the for the, for the and passing I'm, attack and it's look, interesting that they were they were what 26 in play action yeah and we talked about like several shows ago that they could be introducing more play action that's what needs to so go up that yeah. number could go up um and yeah the, hopefully just the efficiency overall goes up yeah well the thing is too like everybody should be using more play action so even if the 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 rank doesn't go up the usage needs to like it's under 20 percent right now so yeah. that that percentage needs to go up will it affect that rank that to me doesn't matter as much as the usage going up um but all right we actually talked more about the steers than i thought we were going to we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be back to talk about kyle dubas's uh pre-draft media availability um and just some things that he said and if there's anything to read into or if it's all meaningless we'll be right back to talk about it so actually first things first with the penguins um it still does play into kyle dubas they hired jason spezza which we knew was coming in some capacity it's in the assistant gm role he's the assistant for a GM that doesn't exist right now. Um, and they Does that mean he's the assistant to Wilkes-Barre's GM right now? Or does <laughs> Wilkes-Barre have the same GM? I don't know what they did to the management. Did they... I didn't see any change there. I'm assuming it's the same guy. So does that mean he's the assistant to him? Well, Dubas is the acting GM, right? He said he was taking I over. Guess that, that's true. Yeah. That's true. He's taking so, over the responsibilities. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so get that out of the way re-signing Valtteri Pustin in as well that's kind of the non uh Dubas availability stuff to talk about I think you know what my first takeaway right was the fact that he talked about he has very little desire he doesn't like to do it that's buyout players obviously we've kind of got we've, we're in that window now where you can buy out players and Mikel Granlund makes a ton of sense for them to do so they only bought out one player in uh Dubas's time with Toronto Jared Cow is it Cohen or Cowan defenseman I think at one point for whatever reason was linked to the Penguins spent some time with the Senators that was the only player 2016 um, that Dubas was part of uh, buying out so I look at that um, historical tendency isn't there is he maybe just saying that I don't think so. I I really think he doesn't want to buy out Granlin. He talked about you can get more creative with ways. Um, to reconstruct your roster to shed salary that you don't want to have wasn't going to come right out and say yeah we know we got to do something with Macau Grandland before next season um but i Just think internally flame the guy on the mic <laughs> i think internally they know like <laughs> this guy can't be back on the roster i i even though i'm of the mindset now that a buyout is probably unlikely i'm still not expecting Grandland to be on this team next season yeah which i mean see it would have to come from a trade but wouldn't that go back to the point where we're going to have to attach something with Granlin to get a team to take him? And that's what we didn't want to do. And like, that's, or at least so. that's, what we, that's what we thought they wouldn't want to do. But you would think so. Uh, but maybe Dubas has a be- Dubas has a better idea than us. It's it's like, hey, yeah, and there's maybe, probably a GM out there that will do it. Maybe he feels that there is somewhat of a market for Granlin, even despite his absolutely terrible stint in Pittsburgh. But yeah. I, if they don't buy him out, which I, I guess from a GM standpoint, like, yes, you get immediate cap relief of like four point like two million, four point one eight million, something like that. But then after that, that that cap hit bumps up to like almost two million per season for the next like four or five seasons. So maybe from a GM standpoint, like you don't want to have that hanging. Especially over one your head. that knows he's going to be here. 
Yeah. Yeah. So so you don't want to to like hurt yourself more than you you already are. I mean, you have the the little bit of the Jack Johnson buyout still uh, on the cap, and so I can understand it from that perspective. I just can't. It's hard for me to imagine that a team is just going to want to take him, and you're going to have to throw in a sweetener. And I think the sweetener has to be pretty good because you still have what two more years with Grandin left at yeah. that five million dollar mark. And that's the thing. I, I, I'm looking at it like, okay, say there is a team willing to take him. There's no way it's to be at $5 million. So then you're retaining salary. And if you're retaining salary, you know, what's the difference between they would probably, in my mind, the most you can retain is 50%. I, I don't see how it's. I think the only difference is it's not as long. Yeah. that That's probably the only way to look at it. But still, I, I just wouldn't want to do that. I, I would rather give a better sweetener than retain salary on Grandland. And that's just my personal preference. My personal, personal preference would be buying him out. Um, but, you know, it, the, the comments that Dubas made just made it seem like that's not going to happen. And yeah. like you said, without mentioning his name, we he basically just said, we are not looking to buy Mikhail Grandland. We're going to yeah. try to trade him at all costs, but we're not going to buy him out. Yeah. And so that's really interesting. Um which is why I guess it wouldn't. I feel like if if it was going to happen, it probably would have happened by now because the window's been open for like a week and a half, and and he's not bought out yet. That seemed like it was going to be the first thing on Kyle Dubas's to do list when he gets to Pittsburgh. Is it maybe waiting to see on draft night if they can get somebody to take him just to move up to fourteen, like trading back and trading Granlund in the move to trade back? That, that could be the case. Um, and I would be open for that. If they stayed in the first round, I'd yeah. be open to that idea, that idea. I just wouldn't want to trade. And it's funny because I brought this up like four months ago, like five months ago, like trade the, the idea of trading uh, Mikhail Granlin and the first round pick together um, to just, just to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was like justifying it, but then I thought about it more and I, I definitely wanted a buyout instead of just trading away the first round pick. But if, if that's the case where they, they trade back to, um, like in the late twenties, then and when the team was able to take him, then I'm fine with that. But the problem is, if you're trading back, you're talking about teams that made the playoffs, who have more competent GMs than some of the worst teams in the league, and so <laughs> you're going to have to convince a good GM to take Mikael Granlin, and that's where I think the trouble could run into because I just don't. If I look at a, a good hockey team, why would I want Mikael Granlin? That's that's the issue that I run into when I think about trading back to a to a team that is in the playoffs already. Yeah. Well, well, they'd have to be in love with the prospect they're getting at fourteen. Like that's yeah, the thing. That, is, that's true. That's probably what you're looking at. It you're looking at it as, uh, and, and if that's the case, if you're going to a team like that, I imagine the Penguins would still have to retain salary, like you were saying. So you're probably looking at a you you trade back from fourteen, you take Raquel Grant, and we eat probably fifty percent of the salary. And granted, like that's at least for two, only two years, as opposed to like five or six, whatever the buyout would be. Mm-hmm. Um, but that would still suck. Yeah, it, it was. That's it, the it, thing. It's this is just a, what a problem that Hex Hex Hextall brought in, and yeah. he does not have to deal with anymore. The fact instead yeah. of trading for Granlin. Yeah, I mean, I think they would have gotten <clears throat> steamrolled, but I and there's no way of like, it's just my opinion on it. I think they make the playoffs if they just stand pat. I think they got. I, I worse think so too. At the deadline, and they I only think so too. Yeah, not that. Not that. Like, 
Teddy Bluger or Mc, or Brock McGinn or anybody else in that bottom six was like could would have turned around and become scoring machines down the stretch. But I just don't think that you would have had the as bad of like defensive metrics that you would have had down the stretch. And Kapanen probably would have would have hit a random heater at some point, like he always does. Yeah, yeah. So. I mean, maybe he was just primed for one. We saw what he did when he left. Different circumstances, different line mates, you know. But yeah. I, I I think that you were just better off. And in hindsight's twenty twenty of just looking at where they ended up, not making the playoffs in general. Like absolutely, <laughs> if I could go back, I just wouldn't do a thing to the team don't touch it just let the season ride out but yeah obviously that's not the case and ron hextall should be never mind i can't say that that's that will probably get me in trouble um ron just hextall sh- should be arrested yeah that <laughs> um i also thought it was interesting Dubas talking about free agency kind of saying like they're not gonna go after any big fish so then you look at the available space i mean obviously probably some guys of their own they want to take care of um, you know, Drew O'Connor is the one that sticks out to me the most. Like, sure, like Ryan Paling could be brought back. Archibald, for what he provided last year, if you get him at like the same number, I think that's fine. But you don't want to like totally just bring back the entire bottom six, obviously. Like, Dubas has in mind what he wants to change. So, if there's one guy that's a free agent that I'm looking at bringing back, uh, it's Drew O'Connor out of them, just because I think he can also, in a pinch, be like, and even as he continues to develop. Maybe he is a guy that eventually plays in the top six. But I think for right now, you have a, a really good bottom six player. Um, but him talking about free agency, saying that they weren't going to swing for a big fish forward or anything like that. One, did that surprise you? Two, did him not mentioning defense or goalie within that, like he specifically said, a big fish forward, make you think that's where he's looking before the, you know, a, a forward? Um. Yes, I, I think that. Him saying we're not looking at a big fish forward, that would definitely lead me to believe that he's is looking at either goaltending or defense or potentially both. Um, there, there's some guys that you could probably potentially move on from if 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 you were coming from because I, I did, didn't he say or say something about the I, he either said it or someone was like alluding to it that him saying this it's not going to come from a the, the free agent market it would more likely come from a trade. I feel like that could be the case with like a defenseman um, if they were going to get rid of a contract like Jeff Petrie. Like, I, I, not that I want to get rid of Jeff Petrie. I would be fine if Jeff Petrie's back, but I, I think there's there's trades that could happen that could bring in a different defenseman in, into the fold. And I think that definitely – I think Brood is the one they has to look at. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think so too. Um, not a great contract for what he provides. And I, I think that you could – improve on that defense the one area that we've talked about the most over the past six months goaltending i feel like that's that's like out of the question that that's going to be looked at and um i really hope that they figure something out with that because we've we talked about with hunter we talked about with jesse and danny we've talked about it just ourselves there's no way that you could sell us on going into the season with the same goalie tandem there's there's absolutely no way that could happen yeah. Um, and the, and the fact that the top six, uh, he, he mentioned is like, they're not really looking to approve that. Do they need to that? That's the really question that I have. No, I, mean, I, like, I think you just that, need that's the thing compared to the rest of the team. The top six is fine for the most part. I mean, obviously like you're going to have to replace the Jason Zucker if he's not going to be back. Um, but I, I, I feel like the top six as just 
a hole and under the umbrella of the Penguins, that's not the priority to look at this this free agency. That's not the area of the most concern because you still have a, some of your top scoring guys, Raquel, Sid, Gino, Jake. Like Those four are still in the top six. I feel like Rust, maybe he has a bounce back year, or even if he has the same year that he had, I would still be okay with him being in the top six on that second line with Malkin. You've replaced that Zucker Zucker spot if he's not back. But that bottom six is what really killed you. So it makes absolute sense why that would be the focus of the forward group because you got absolutely nothing defensively and offensively last year from that entire group. So I'm fine, like kind of like what you're saying. I'm fine bringing back like one or two of the guys from last year's group in that bottom six, whether that could be a Drew O'Connor, Ryan Paling, Josh Archibald. But the entire group needs an overhaul. And I'm not even mentioning Jeff Carter. I know he's not yeah, going anywhere. Say, well, you but, know he's going to have a spot within that. Yeah. I, I think w- what you said about the top six, like with that Zucker spot, I, I mean, worst case scenario, I think you could get away with playing like Nylander there or like, like I said, maybe Drew O'Connor can step up into that role if you get a bounce back season from Rust and if you get a bounce back season at 5v5 for Gensel. Because I think everybody's going to look at Gensel's goal total last year and think it was a relatively similar season. But the dude had like seven empty netters. Like, it, it wasn't. He wasn't as good offensively yeah. last year as the number on the surface would suggest. So if he bounces back at 5v5 and Russ bounces back, I think you can get away with replacing that Zucker spot with a Nylander or with a Drew O'Connor. Um, but that's a yeah, that's an if. So the Nylander I, I spot know. would be intriguing to me. Um, just because we saw him in, in limited action in the NHL level last year, but I think that Nylander has the pedigree that it, it just, and I don't know if it's just a name factor that that seems attractive to me, like an intriguing idea. I, I, and I, I, I think I Drew O'Connor, he, he could be good on that second line. I just really want to see him in like a full time player in the NHL, whether that's bottom six or not, because he's had stints where he's a full-time member of the lineup or not, but it's only lasted like either several weeks or like a month at a time. I just want to see him for like a full season at the NHL and see what he could do as a full-time forward. Um, Looked really good for Team USA. Yeah, whether that's second line or fourth line, I don't care. I just think that 2023, he just needs to be a full-time member of the Penguins and not have to worry about a lineup spot. Yeah, I'd agree. Um, Continuing on with the discussion, like we said, bottom six probably being the focus. Also mentioned they're likely to keep the pick at 14. So I mentioned the idea of potentially trading back and that be the way you shed Granlund. But Dubas seems to really like this draft class and the idea of the player that he could probably get at 14. And, you know, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know, you know, these prospects that are in that that tier that they're probably going to have. Um, but I will say that it seems like most people agree that this is a stronger draft than the general one the Penguins have a higher pick than they normally do. Like this seems like it is a, a pretty decent year to be in the spot that the Penguins are in with that middle, that, you know, middle of the round pick at 14. And Dubas is a guy that, you know, doesn't like moving assets just to move them. Wants to stick at 14. It sounds like, and I don't, I can't say that I necessarily have an issue with it. I can't blame him for the Granlund thing. Like if Granlund worst case scenario ends up being on the team next year, it's going to suck. But it's not. I can't blame Kyle Dubas for that. Um, he didn't do it. So I'll I'll be interested to see how this whole thing shakes out. But as we sit here right now, I think they're making a pick at fourteen. I think so too. And I'll say that I think the only way that 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 first round pick is moved because I don't even think they're good. I, if they're going to make a trade back, 
I think the only way that do hap does happen if, if it involves Grandland. Um, and I don't think that's going to happen. So I, I think, think the only way that that pick up? is moved, <laughs> move up. Um, do they have the assets to move up? I don't know. I don't know how, like, yeah. I know what it costs to like move up in the NFL draft. I don't know what it costs to move up in the NHL draft. And I don't know. I don't even have the remote idea because I, in the NFL draft, I know if I'm moving up, whether like if the Steelers moved up from 17, like they did to 14, or if they moved up from 17 and if they would have would have went all the way up to like eight, nine or 10, like I know that no matter who they're going to pick, it is going to be a guy that is going to play immediately on the Steelers with the NHL draft. I feel like moving up, that's a bigger question mark to me because I don't know what it costs to move up in general. And when you're moving up for a player that you're not going to see in the NHL right away, I just, I, I have no idea, remote idea what that costs. And I just don't know if the Penguins have the, the tangible assets to be able to move up. Hey, maybe they trade Granlin to move up. I don't know, <laughs> but but when when you're moving up, you're talking about worse GMs. So, um, but yeah, no, I I think that's an interesting idea. And Kyle Dubas kind of made remarks that they they could be open to moving up or down or staying pat at 14. So I guess it's not off the table. I just don't think that the Penguins would be able to do it because of the assets that they have. I think the only way that they move on from 14 and they don't make that pick is if they make a trade kind of like what we talked about last week, I believe, or maybe a couple weeks ago with Connor Hellbuck or, or something like that, where you're getting a, a, a big name guy, either in goaltender or if they're, they're trading for a number one left D um, I, I feel like it's, it's, it would be something like that where you are bringing in a, an in-house name, like, like, you know, this name, it's a big guy, big move. And that's the only way that they're not making that pick of 14. Otherwise I do think that they stay there. Yeah. I'm trying to look at something that's like kind of similar. So like I was only going back to last year, uh, Chicago or Arizona and San Jose made a trade last year on during the draft. Um, that was for pick number 11 and they sent 27, 34 and a second round pick 45, uh, for number 11. Okay. So they went up from 27 to 11. Yeah. And they, and they had to the... include 34 and 45. Okay. Well, I, I mean, that seems the, like, uh, I mean, that seems like quite a bit, but you're jumping 16 spots, but you're including two second problem, rounders. I know second rounders run don't into. carry as much value in the NHL draft as the NFL. Like in the NFL, that would yeah. seem like a crazy trade. Yeah. And, and the problem you're going to run into is. Like the Penguins have 14. They're already like fairly high in the draft. And if you want to move higher than that, they don't have a second round pick. They have one third round pick. They don't even yeah. have their own. They have New Jersey's. Oh, now I'm and, not even talking about for them moving up. Now I'm looking at them moving back, like where what it, what they could get for moving back. But yeah. Oh, I, I mean, 14 is not far from 11. So yeah. if you could recoup a second round pick, and I love how we're talking about like this, like we we actually know like if these guys, <laughs> if, 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 they, if this would be worth it. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I, I think they stay, stay at 14 and they're going to make a pick. Mm -hmm. So Same. I just don't I don't think that thing is going to be moved unless, like I said, they're going to trade for a, a, like a goalie or just a, a, a bigger named player. Yeah. All right. Well, good pens talk this week. Um, hopefully we can have our, our guy Josh Getzoff come on here sometime and talk about free agency in the draft. Um, 
I know that he's going to be doing stuff for the draft, so it can't be one of those two days. We're still figuring it out, but Josh will be on here sometime in the near future to discuss it. Um, was hoping it would be before free agency, but hey, if not, we'll get to talk about whoever it was that they went out and got. So benefits to both of those. Uh, we're going to wrap up the show, talk about the Pirates. Uh, you know, at least they won at time of recording this one last night. So, mm-hmm. but they won none of the 10 games before that. So we'll talk about all that. Also, a couple guys coming up when we come back. This is around the 412. Don't go anywhere. A week ago from yesterday, Friday, the Pittsburgh Pirates were in first place in the NL Central all alone as they went into that series. As we sit here today, after nine straight games with the division and then opening up the series against the Marlins, they had lost 10 straight. (laughs) They finally won yesterday in comeback fashion when it looked like it was going to be 11 straight. Um, Palacios leads off the ninth inning with a hit. A little bit of a rally started with him and McCutcheon on the bases, creating some havoc. Uh, mm-hmm. Santana comes through with a big single to give him the lead. Tucapito Marcano ends up adding on to that. Bednar shuts it down in the ninth, and they end that losing streak. Um, I just, it got to, the, like, this offense has just completely, completely evaporated top to bottom. Like, there is nobody that I can say right now is, like, performing the way that they were beginning in the season like okay McCutcheon's still seeing a lot of pitches he's drawing some I don't think he's 100% either he's been dealing with a little bit of an elbow issue but to me like top to bottom this offense has just I guess key Brian Hayes is the one that is hitting better than he was the beginning of the year because he was really struggling Um, but they're just getting nothing night in and night out and you got two really solid pitching performances back to back from Keller and Ortiz that were both that were almost Mm. both wasted they still did waste Keller's by blowing that game on Thursday um, but just a frustrating team to watch night in and night out. I'm hoping that, you know, the arrival of Henry Davis and I, I don't know where you're at with him. I'm just, I'm not a Nick Gonzalez guy. Um, but you know, maybe he does, I'm not going to like write him off just because of that. What I feel about him in the minors, like he's going to have a shot to prove me wrong here in the majors. Um, I'm hoping with those two arrivals, they kind of provide a spark. I mean, you saw the emotion that Henry Davis had when he walked yesterday. I know that they didn't, nothing resulted from that inning, but I think the, you know, his reaction when he got on base, trying to fire up the team and then he steals second and again, looks at the dugout, like, let's go guys. I think that goes a long way for, you know, providing a spark and showing that you care. Like a lot of the times you'll like lean on veterans to provide that, but for a young guy to come up and already like show that he cares that much about winning this game, I think that goes a long way for his teammates. So I'm providing between, I'm hoping that between him and Gonzalez, hopefully soon the, like, just keep it rolling. Let's get Andy up here too. Uh, Jared Triolo is an infielder that's hit really well. can also, I think, play some corner outfield in a pinch. I wouldn't be opposed to him coming up. Like, just give these guys some looks. And I think that they can all kind of have that impact where they're new to the majors and it's just like they don't know yet. So it's like they can just provide an immediate spark. And I, I, I think they just got to kind of keep rolling with what Henry <laughs> Davis showed. They didn't they didn't have to play through the month of May with the Pirates. That's so they I'm don't like they're, they're not dead inside. It's almost that, like that's really what it comes down to. Yeah. Um 
they, they they're not dead inside because they didn't see the month of May. No, I I think that this this is a good thing to see these guys come up. Um, I mean, you, you already saw Henry Davis in his first at bat had that hit, and then you already saw his first home run. He he has provided some energy, I think, to to the pri- Pirates. Now we're just waiting on him to actually play catcher. I it it beats me why I, I, they here, refuse to do it. I don't know if you agree. Uh. I think Endy ends up playing catcher in the majors before Henry Davis. It, why do you think that is? I don't. I just. I think they like Davis's bat more. I don't think they like his defense more than Endy's behind the plate. So they value. Do you think they value what like Jason Delay and Austin Hedges brings defensively? Oh, I think yeah. Over, it just. It, but they're absolute liabilities offensively. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It doesn't matter to them. They're just going to play them for the defense anyway. Yep. And I don't. Delay's not even that good of a defensive catcher, in my opinion. Like, I I don't know what it is. Like, I know that like Delay's offensive numbers pro- look better than the player that he actually is. Like, I I by no means view him not over the last fifteen days. Oh, really? Has he cooled off that much? I I, I have the Pirates' last fifteen days up uh, offensively. Okay. Jason Delay, he's batting one sixty seven. His on base is two thirty one over those yeah. last fifteen days. Yeah, and that's in nine games. So he's he's had plate appearances. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I just I, I never viewed him as the guy that was hitting like three oh eight with like a four hundred on base percentage or whatever it was, something stupid. Um, and then we know we we know Hedges is a all framing catcher. Like I can't even say like entirely defense. Like it's because it's not throwing guys out, which I know is harder to do in twenty twenty three than in past years. Mm-hmm. But he doesn't control the run game. He obviously can't hit. Like people just keep talking about the value that he provides that isn't seen. And I and I get that. Like I, I know that there are things that are important to the players that we're not going to see. I'm sure he is great with the pitching staff and stuff like that. O- okay, great. We lost by seven runs instead of ten. I, I mean <laughs> <laughs> I was like uh Hedges is batting 0. 0.087 over the last 15 days, and his on base percentage is the exact same. He has he doesn't want uh yeah, he doesn't walk. He has zero walks. Zero walks over that span in 10 games. So yeah. it's 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 really bad from and, and that's why I'm just like, do you really want them just because they play defense on, on the catcher? Like, do you really devalue Henry Davis's defense that much that you just don't want to play him at catcher? And, I mean, even if that's the case, that's where I'm at with like, okay, well then bring up Endy. Like if, if you think he's the yeah. better defensive option behind the plate. Have both of them up here. And I know that Andy hasn't like lit the <laughs> world on fire offensively this year, but I think he's gotten better over I the last I think he can bat weeks. better than point oh eight seven. I'm I'm willing to bet a lot on that. Yeah. That he could at least bat point one. Yeah. So and the thing is too, like, why do people act like players can't get better at the major league level? Like it's it doesn't mean where are you his... gonna learn. We saw this with Tyler Glass now, and and this is completely different because it's different coaching staff, different regime, but with Tyler Glass now, he would light up AAA. He'd come up to the majors. He'd struggle. He'd get sent back down. Like, where is where where can we get the middle ground where it's like you're lighting up it, it up in AAA? You're going to need to at some time make that adjustment. You're not going to always just be good in AAA and then naturally just carry that into the MLB. There's going to be growing pains at that level. 
So I don't mm-hmm. I I think that they should just bring up guys if they're going to be contributing right away. Like I I don't see the point in bring, keeping Endy down. I think if you're going to play De- Davis in the field, like in right field, like he has been, fine. But bring in and uh, bring up Endy Rodriguez and provide even more of a spark. That way you have a defensive defensive catcher, but also somebody who can bat more than 100 in in the offense. Hopefully, um, yeah. It's it's been bad overall like the the slump because looking at some of these numbers it's absolutely atrocious i mean the the only guys that over the last 15 days have provided really anything offensively i mean kutch's uh kutch's batting average over the last 15 days is down to 207 but his on-base percentage is still 378 and he's leading the team and walks over that span with eight so he's still at least getting on base but then Really, the only guys that are providing anything with a bat itself are Brian Reynolds, who's batting 290 over who that don't stretch, have right who now. you don't have right now. And Cabrian Hayes um, ha- has picked it up over the last week. But besides that, everybody is either s- sub 300 on on-base percentage or they're like sub 250 in batting average. It's it's not pretty. Yeah. So the whole – and it's it's not just one guy. The whole team is slumping. All at once. I think what it comes down to is there's a, you go up and down the lineup. There's just not a lot of guys that you feel like should be everyday guys at the MLB level. It's like, okay, Connor Joe, great against uh, left-handed pitching. Same with Rodolfo Castro. Those guys are both guys that should play against lefties. Against righties? Probably not. Uh, we know about Austin Hedges. G1 Bay, oh, or one for his last 23. Jack Sawinski, 0 oh, for his last 26. Like, this can't like all this happening at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, and that's what leads to losing 10 games in a row mixed with the how, pitching that you've gotten as well. And this is how um, a hitting coach probably loses his job at some point this year. Yeah. I don't or see any value that, that he brings. What, where's the value? I'm looking at the value right now and it's dog water. Um, I mean, so. if he ruins, if he ruins Henry Davis, yeah, Henry Davis. That's that's the thing. He already looks so comfortable with the plate. Like, uh huh. He looks like he, he's been here for months. He he looked ready to be here, which a month ago he was in Double A. So, mm-hmm. um, that's in just going back to him and even like Nick Gonzalez. Like we saw Nick Gonzalez make his debut yesterday. Um, went over three with two strikeouts. Boy, but, did he look! But as overmatched as I thought he was going. See, the problem with him is the swing and miss. Like he strikes out a ton. He has no feel for pitching sequencing, and I think it showed yesterday. Now, obviously, like he's doing against major league pitching for the first time, so can he adjust to it? But just yeah. based off his body of work in in the minors, I just I, I think he's always going to be that. Like I think he's always going to be a I high mean, strikeout guy. Can he you provide are enough not elsewhere? getting like even looking at his numbers in the minors, and I know that like he did have an injury that set him back. Um, from when since when he was drafted, mm-hmm. but for a seventh overall pick, you would think that you would be seeing more consistency with his bat, and he also maybe playing, that was with, the talk, playing for higher average. That was the talk about him but, was that he was going to be like the hit tool was great because he he played in the Cape Cod League and switched to a wooden bat before like every other hitting prospect that was coming out that year. So, like, you would have thought he'd be more advanced than anybody else from that class. Now, I don't, looking, you know, at a glance as we sit here right now, I'd have to look up who else from that draft class is, like, 
already performed at the MLB level, but I'm going to do that right now. I just, yeah, that was Sherrington's first draft pick was Nick Gonzalez. Oh, okay. So, um, <clears throat> yeah, I just think it's a guy that you, you would have expected to have, um, I guess better overall numbers in the, in the minor leagues. And I get it. Like the pirates are desperate right now. And I'm not saying like calling up your former seventh overall pick is a desperation move, but like, I, I feel like they're looking for something to, to improve the team and something to stick. But just speaking of Nick Gonzalez himself, regardless of him being called up, you would have liked to have seen better, better numbers in the minors than you would have gotten from him. And like I said, you did have an injury that set him back, but this is something that like you were expecting his, for him to bat for higher average, not going to necessarily be a big power guy or slugging guy, but somebody that can probably bat like 280 plus. But I think like his triple A numbers, when I last look, like we're around like 250 something. And so not that this is necessarily terrible, but it's something that you would like better of from a seventh overall pick. And I, I think that it could technically provide a spark but i just don't think it's going to be a spark like henry davis is because we've already seen in 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 five games it hasn't been a a huge sample size but henry davis is able to get around to to mlb pitching he he's able to handle it and i don't know that nick gonzalez is necessarily going to be able to maybe he can provide defense that that necessarily balances out what he does at the plate but i just don't think he's going to be anything to to ride home about when it comes to actually being in the batter's box and like watching his at bats. Oddly enough, uh, the two probably best value picks in this first round were in the twenties and they were back to back and they're in the division. Garrett Mitchell at 20 to the Brewers and then 21 Jordan Walker to the Cardinals who uh, a, a little bit up and down. I think he started the season really hot. Obviously they sent him back to the minors, called him back up and he's been pretty good again since coming back up. But yeah, those guys went later in the first. It's it's really not an impressive looking first round now that I'm looking at it. Uh, in the second round, though, the Pirates did get Jared Jones, who's been on the show and absolutely flying through the organization now as he's yeah. now up in Indianapolis. So maybe he helps the team even this year in September. But if not, you would think, you know, next year he could push for a spot. So uh, maybe the fastest rising prospect that the Pirates have right now in the organization. It's crazy because he, he was 17 when he was on the show. That So that only makes him like 20 right now. Yeah. Yeah, he's 20 or 20. Maybe just turned 21 recently. But yeah, he's still super young. Um, all right. And then the last thing, speaking of the draft, is where I want to go with this. Pirates picking 1-1 the whole time. It's been Dylan Cruz. <laughs> and I will say for me, it still is. Um, but a lot of sites very reputable sites and i don't know if it's just for a lack of strain away from what's been chalk for so long but they now have paul steens lsu pitcher at one one um how would you feel about that first off if it wasn't dylan cruz at one one um you know and are you believing this or do you think it is just okay it's been dylan cruz it's been dylan cruz can we just put something else out there so that if it's not, we got it out there. I mean, what do we say about the uh, about the NFL draft? Everything. Granted, we're more than a week away, but anything like within the the last week of the NFL draft, it's basically all smoke and just just a lot of nothingness. So I think that that's probably where this is at. Um, 
Okay. I, I I think it's just another talking point to get out there because it has just been Dylan Cruz is going to be one one. Dylan Cruz is going to be the Pirates' first pick. That's that's just basically all it's been said. It's probably closer to that. Um, but at least to entertain the idea, I ne- don't necessarily. I wouldn't hate if they if they took his teammate. Um, especially looking at what the pitching staff looks like right now and how that how he did, I honestly think he's as ready of an MLB pitcher as we've had since Garrett Cole. Like that, I think that's what could. I that's what I mean. Like he yeah. he'd probably spend like a year in the minors and then probably make his debut halfway through the next year. That's mm-hmm. that's kind of the similar similar track that Garrett Cole was on. I I think that I I I still want Cruz. Like I I obviously want Cruz. I think he's by, by far and away the best overall player in the draft. Um but if they went with the pitcher, I think it could make sense just looking at the team and organization as a whole. You don't really have a ton of arms that you can just say are like super MLB ready um, within the next like year or two. Like you have a few, like you'd hope that like Quinn Priester can make his debut maybe either at the end of this year or, or sometime next year. Um, but outside of that, and then you just mentioned Jared Jones, maybe he comes up next year. There's not a ton of ton of arms. So if they went with pitcher, I can at least get the idea from just looking at the organizational standpoint and looking at what the weaknesses are of this team right now, which is almost everything. But the pitching has not been what we had hoped it would be overall. And it's really struggled, especially over the past month. Um, but I still think that it's Cruz. I, I, and I've, I've said that with uh, multiple people as well. Like it, like, my buddy that's visiting right now, Quinn, like it's Dylan Cruz. It's, it's Dylan Cruz until it's not Dylan Cruz. And I think that this is just basically more of smoke to get people talking about something else because it's, it's just so, it's just basically accepted that Dylan Cruz is going to be the number one overall pick. It's just another talking point to get some clicks. Yeah. Uh, I w- so here's the thing for me and why I'm still, if it's close and I think it is like, I think, Paul Steens is as good of a pitching prospect as Cruz is a hitting prospect. Like, I feel that way about that. But the reason that the tiebreaker is always going to go to the outfielder for me is, and maybe it's stupid, but like, I just assume at this point, Paul Steens is going to have Tommy John at some point, and we're going <laughs> to lose a season of him. And a big part of that is the workload that he's had at LSU. I don't know if you've paid attention to this. He has back to back starts with 120 pitches. And normally in college, you have the extra day of rest, like it's every sixth day. That you, mm-hmm. He doesn't. He has been pitching on an MLB schedule, basically. So 120 pitches in back-to-back starts for him at LSU. The workload worries me for the future. Like, I get why LSU is doing years. it. Huh? He's also been there four years. Skeens? I think so. This is his first year at LSU. He was he no, came from the But uh, he's a four year like college player, right? Maybe. I mean he is oh, I uh, I think I think he's in his fourth year of college. Because he came from the uh he comes from a military family. He was at a military school and ended up transferring to LSU. Okay. This is his first year at LSU for sure. I just don't know how many years in total it's been for him. Yeah, this is his fourth year in college. Okay. Air, 2021 Air Force, Wareham, where that is, Air Force, Louisiana State. Okay. So. So, yeah. I mean, he definitely is. Uh, the thing is, too. And maybe this about, is a, another dumb way to, to look at it. 
with an outfielder, I get somebody that can play every day. With a pitcher, I get someone that plays every five days. Maybe that's a very like yeah. ignorant and, and childish way to look at making the pick. But mm-hmm. with the outfielder, I know he 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 could play I, every single day. You mentioned I I like Paul Skeens. If you take him, obviously is like the number one pitching prospect in the system. Even if with the rise of Jared Jones and stuff, and he probably could help at some point in 2024, if not for sure in 2025. Dylan Cruz hopefully at some point in 2025. But I look at the outfield for the Pirates too. Like you were talking about the pitching. I think if you take Dylan Cruz, he's automatically, you could include Henry Davis, I guess, as an outfielder at this point. He's automatically like the second or third best outfielder in the Pirates' entire organization. Like including at the MLB level. Yeah. Yeah, no, I I don't think, I don't think that's hyperbole. Yeah. I just, I, it, it's Cruz for me. I think Steens is awesome. I think, you know, if Washington takes him at two, that's definitely justified. I just, if I'm, if I'm looking at it from a, they're very similar prospects, like Cruz is as good of an outfielder as Steens is as a pitcher. I'm, I'm going with the outfielder because of the worry with pitchers. I, I'm waiting it for, for it to not be either of them. <laughs> there is a third name that's been floated the high school well, outfielder, I, Match Clark. I, I'm looking at it just from the standpoint of I look at the the Henry Davis draft actually. Mm-hmm. We weren't talking about Henry Davis before the draft. All the no, talk it was, was like Marcelo Kumar, Mayer and it was like Marcelo Mayer, Kumar Rocker, Jack Leiter. Yeah, and uh, like and people would thought like it's going to be Jack. Like everybody during the season was like it's going to be Kumar Rocker, and then it, like kind of shifted to Jack Leiter, and then they signed Henry Davis. And part of the reason I, I would believe is because he has a uh, he took less on a, of a signing bonus. What if they, they run into a situation where Dylan Cruz is like, I want this number, and then they're not going to pay it, so they just take somebody else? Yeah, it's gonna. I mean, we've seen the Pirates. The the one area where they do spend is the draft. But are they going to be willing to spend up in that first like eight million one one slot to you know not be able to do as much in the following round? But I've said before. You get Dylan Cruz at one one. I don't even care if you draft another player. <laughs> like you could just turn We're in a probably blank not going to see any of those other players anyway. <laughs> you could turn in a blank card for the rest of the draft for all I care. I just the one yeah, one me, slot value um is nine million seven hundred twenty one thousand. Yeah. That's the, that's the, if they go under in round one, I don't even, I think Steens would be too, though. Like, Max Clark is the undervalue 1-1 one, one pick to me. So if that's the route, if we see him get his name called at 1-1, one, one, it's because they want to spend throughout the draft as opposed to just in round one. Yeah. Yeah, because if, they, if they spent, if they took, if they, they maximized their full, uh, the, the full slot value at 1-1, one, one, then that would be eating up over half their money, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Without I think looking, they, their poll is like sixteen million. I just it, Google knows. Cruz, I'm in love with. Steens, that's that's fine. I'm cool with that. I like Max Clark. Any other year, I'd be cool with it. Not this year. Sixteen point one eight five million. Okay. So yeah, you'd be eating up like. Oh, around 60% of your, if you've paid full slot value, but for Dylan Cruz, I wouldn't care. Yeah. Go ahead. It just means they, I mean, they like those high school arms and stuff anyway. So that's what, you know, the rest of the drafts would probably be filled with was a lot of high school guys that you're taking or, 
Uh, no, probably a lot of college guys that don't have the option to go back or like choose to co- go to their college commitment. Yeah. You, you could see both sides. It's either going to be high school kids that are too enticed by that amount of money right away or college guys that don't have the option to go back to school. Dylan Cruz is slugging 715. His OPS is 1.278. It was funny. It was like the last couple weeks of the season before we got to the you know college World Series and stuff. He was hitting like 393, and it was like, oh, he's cooling off a little bit. Yeah, his batting average right now is 423. Yeah. On the season. Yeah, take him. That's my guy. That's who I'm taking. Cruz and Cruz for Pittsburgh in the future. There you go. A um, little bit longer of a show than I think we anticipated, but a lot of good conversation, a lot of good talk. I actually t- spent more time with, on the Pirates than we typically do, so that was good. Um, but yeah, MLB drafts. When is the MLB draft? Two weeks uh, from okay. uh, tomorrow. So as a re- as you're hearing this, maybe. I think it's July 9th is when it kicks off. Okay. So, so we'll get some answers sooner than later. But uh, I don't – I'm fine with either of those first two. Cruz is definitely my preference. If they took Steens, I'm not upset about it, just not the route that I wanted them to go this entire time. If they don't take Cruz, they're dead to me. <laughs> As if I, they already I do- aren't. I do think I do think Steens is going to be awesome too. Like that's the thing is any other year like that's he he I would feel about him how I do about Cruz if Cruz wasn't in the picture. It's going to be awesome watching him recover for a year and a half after his Tommy John. <laughs> yeah, I mean maybe his body can can uphold it. I just did Garrett Cole have Tommy John? I don't think he has. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't think so. Because that's like the like he he is a big dude. Like he is a a horse. So maybe his body just is going to be able to withstand the workload that he's had. I don't he's think never had I mean, Tommy John. Yeah. Well, all right, that'll do it for this episode. Let us know what you guys think about literally anything that was covered, not just the Steens versus Cruz talk, but um, obviously the Steelers signing Nick Witkowski is the big news here to talk about, but. Let us know how you feel about that. Any of the Penguin stuff that we talked about, the best solution to get rid of Mikhail Granlund, how you feel about Dubas' comments. And when it comes to the Pirates, Steens, Cruz, which way are you leaning as we sit here right now? Let us know about that. Of course, like, subscribe, uh, hit that notification bell, leave us a comment down below, leave us a five-star review wherever you can. Follow us on all of our social media platforms. Check out the links in the description. Check out Keats Barbershop, who, as always, is the best sponsor in the world. New location, by the way. Check out the pictures of his new location. Awesome stuff. Uh, But we will be back next week at some point. I know it was super rare to see us this day of the week, but we'll be back next week at some point, probably a little bit more uh, like you guys are used to seeing. But until then, for Smitty, for Tyler, this has been Around the 412, and we'll see you then. Bye-bye.